0: You have your Bibles, if you'd open up with me now to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5, as we continue our series together, looking at the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 22 this evening. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Father, tonight we again thank you for your word and we ask that you would speak to us, Lord. Help us to continue to comprehend the person, the work of the Spirit, and may he be at work here this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point in our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we have considered, first of all, the deity, And the personality of the Holy Spirit, or to put it another way, who He is. But then in our next study, we considered together the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and in the life of the believer, or to put it another way, what He does. And next, we considered the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the empowering of the believer to be a witness for Christ, to put it another way, what he provides. And then we looked at the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, or how he leads. But this evening, we want to take a look at the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that is what he produces in the life of a believer. It is interesting when reading through the Bible. How many agricultural references are made? I think of the words of Jesus when Jesus said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. When he said, Whoever has put his hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom. I think of the parables that Jesus taught, filled with agrarian illustrations. Jesus said, A sower went out to sow seed, and he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, some fell upon a rock, some fell among thorns, and some fell on good ground. Jesus spoke of the wheat and the tares. He said that the kingdom of heaven was like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. There are also several passages in Scripture that liken the believer to a tree that bears fruit or a vine that bears fruit. In the Old Testament, in Jeremiah, in chapter 17, the prophet declared, "'Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord "'and whose hope is in the Lord, "'for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters.'" which spreads out its root by the river, and he will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in year of drought nor cease from yielding fruit. The believer, the person, the individual that trusts in God, that looks to the Lord, the promise here is that they're going to continue to bear fruit, they're not gonna be anxious, they're not gonna be fearful, they will continue to flourish. In Psalm 1, David said, Blessed, or oh how happy, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. What is that man like? What's that individual like? He tells us he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Again, another example of the individual who plants himself deep in the Lord, trusting in him, avoiding certain things that could uproot or disturb fruit bearing. This is what his life's going to be like. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. You're already clean, he said, because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And then Jesus said in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Talking about the believer being connected to Jesus, which in turn allows the person to bear much fruit. The spiritual fruit that is produced in the life of the believer is contingent upon where the believer is planted. And where the believer sinks their roots, abiding in Jesus, abiding in his word, makes a difference. Being mindful of the soil of your own heart is important what is planted there. Is it rocky soil tonight? Is it thorny soil that cares of the world just kind of wrapping up what God really wants to do and choking out what he wants to do? Is it an impenetrable heart? Is it hardened soil? Or is it good ground so that the seed of God's word, as it goes forth, it can be planted and it can bear much fruit for the glory of God? The Bible also refers to the seeds that we are sowing, which will determine what kind of fruit is produced. If you sow to the flesh, the Bible says, you reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, the opposite of that will be reaped, everlasting life. In writing to the church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul said in the fourth chapter, his prayer for the believers, and this is what he prayed. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Look at this, that you would be rooted and you would be grounded in love. These are planting terms, sinking your roots deep into the love of God and that you'd be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge And that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. How does one begin to understand the height, the depth, the length, the breadth of God's love? Love that goes beyond our ability to comprehend. Love that knows no bounds. How is that possible? It it depends upon where it is you're sinking your roots in. If you're sinking your roots deep into the love of God, if you are grounded in the word of God, then naturally what will be produced in your life are the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us, he is in us, he is upon us, he is empowering us, he is leading and directing us, and he is assisting us in bearing good fruit for the glory of God. Here in writing to the Galatians, Paul contrasts the difference between the rotten fruit of the flesh And the healthy fruit of a life that is filled with the Spirit. You say, well, how does one know if they are actually walking in the Spirit? How does one know if they're walking in the flesh? Well, if you look just a few verses before the one we read, you'll notice that Paul says, but but the fruit of the Spirit. He is contrasting something. He, he said something earlier, it's the fruit of the flesh. I don't like to inspect it, but just let's make ourselves familiar with it so that we don't have it within our life. You say, well, what's the fruit of the flesh? What does it look like? Here it is right here. He begins by saying, in verse 19, now the works of the flesh, here's the fruit of the flesh, and it's disgusting, Adultery, that's a relationship with someone who is not your spouse. Fornication, that's sex outside of marriage. Uncleanness and lewdness, that has to do with pornography. Those are the words that are used. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. In other words, there's more of which I tell you before and I told you in times past. Listen to this, folks. Don't miss this. He said, I told you in times past and I'm telling you again, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a rather sobering passage of scripture, don't you think? Those who practice these things, those who live in these things, These things that he just listed, those who are producing this consistent harvest of fleshly fruit that is rotten to the core, those who practice it, comfortable with it, don't have a problem with it, living in it right now, it says they won't inherit the kingdom of God. But in contrast to that, praise the Lord, That's not the fruit that I want to bear. That's not what I want my life to look like. In contrast to that, but the fruit of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's long-suffering. It's kindness. It's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here we have before us a catalog of Christ-like characteristics that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of the believer that is yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. And these characteristics, they're not natural to us. These don't come naturally. The natural characteristics are in the previous verses. Those are very natural. The flesh all the works of the flesh will not manifest themselves in each individual. Some will manifest them in one and others in the other, but, but they have a common source, the flesh. But the contrast between the works and the fruit, someone said a machine in a factory works and turns out a product, but it never manufactures fruit. Fruit... Has to grow out of life. And in this case, in the life of the believer, it's the life of the Spirit. It can't be manufactured. When you think of works, you think of effort, labor, strain, toil. When you think of fruit, you think of beauty. You think of quietness. You think of unfolding of life. The flesh produces dead works, the Bible tells us in Hebrews but the Spirit produces living fruit. The qualities of Christ-like character are not produced by us trying harder, but by us abiding in Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to cultivate those qualities within us. It is worth noting that Paul, in writing to the Galatians, says the works, plural, plural, of the flesh. But then he says, but the fruit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then he goes on to list the different characteristics or aspects of love. When you look at Christ, when you look at his life in the Gospels, all of these characteristics are clearly seen. These are things that he modeled, that he lived out in the truest sense. And the first is love. Love is the fountainhead and the wellspring of all the other virtues. Without love, you can't have any of these other virtues the Greeks had different words for love. One type of love described love for family members. Another love for a friend. Another type was sensual love. And then there was agape, the highest form of love. The essence of agape love is goodwill, benevolence, willful delight in the object of love. Agape is used to describe a love that is and from God. The Bible says in his very nature, God is love. It's that word, God is. Who he is, is love. God does not merely love, he is love itself. Agape love is always shown by what it does. There's action to it. I think in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, It says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's pretty evident. First of all, if you're going to take characteristics on yourself of what your heavenly father is like, the first characteristic that is mentioned and that is to be evident is love. Thus, if there is no love for the lost or for other people, then it's an indication, man, this is a missing, the apple fell really far from the tree or you're not even planted. Something's missing if you lack love. It's a very interesting thing when you meet loveless Christians. You're surprised that they're a Christian. I'm a Christian. Really? Can't you tell? Actually, no. I mean, you just, there's something missing, and it's love. You just don't see it manifested. I'm not saying they walk around with a heart on their shirt or, you know, hug everybody. Or I'm just saying there's just, there's just something unique about a person who is... Listen, a person who's filled with the Spirit, the fruit of being filled with the Spirit that will be evident and obvious will be love. And if it's missing, then something's missing, which is really important because it's the fruit of the Spirit, is love, singular. I think of what the Bible says in 1 John 4, 16. And we have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And it says... The one who abides in love abides in him and God in him. So if you're abiding in him, if you're experiencing his love and you are abiding in his love, then that love's gonna be evident and manifest in your life. Agape love is unconditional, sacrificial love that God not only is, and that God not only demonstrates, but listen, that he commands believers to have in their own lives as seen in these passages. This is who he is, this is how he demonstrates it, and this is what he desires to see within his children. Jesus said to his disciples, they'll know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. That's, how, that's the visible sign to the world. People expect Christians to be loving I think of first John 3:16, where it says, "We know love by this. How do we know love? Here's how we know it. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. but whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brethren in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Where's the Agape love in that? It's not visible. Jesus said in John chapter 15, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Listen to this. Just as I have loved you, and greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Think about that. Jesus said to his disciples, "This, this this is a command that I'm giving you. This isn't, this is my suggestion. Take it or leave it. He said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. And of course, he demonstrated that love through his death on the cross for our sins. He laid down his life. Again, the Bible makes it clear, John 3, 16. You know it, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this is the agape love. This is what it looks like. Is this naturally produced in your life? You know, I'm just gonna agape everybody. I'm just gonna lay down my life for people. I'm just gonna love my enemies. I'm gonna follow that commandment. You could try But I need something, if this is something that God is, if this is something that Jesus has commanded me, here's the great news. With his commands come his enabling. If he gives me a command, he also promises to enable me to carry out that command. So if it comes from him and who he is, and I can't produce it in myself, how's it gonna happen? Through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5, here it is. It says, the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this is who God is. This is the command that he gives me to love. I can't produce it in myself. Don't worry about it. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens is as the Spirit of God fills your life and overcomes your life. He fills you with the love of God. He changes your perspective. He gives you a love for people that you would never love. It's, It's supernatural. You can't work it up. It's something that God does. But praise the Lord that he does it, and he does it through the means of the Holy Spirit. In John 13, 35, again, Jesus said, your love for one another will prove, I like this translation, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So as we look at our lives tonight, and we think about the work of the Holy Spirit, we might ask the question, is there love is, is there evidence of the love of god coming forth from my life is it just love for people who love me or what about loving people that don't love me am i laying down my life in demonstration lord is the agape love that is to be cultivated is, is it being produced in my life or if i just i just don't really care i wouldn't say i'm loving christian i'm pretty much indifferent well that's not a spirit-filled life. I mean, this is something, and here's the thing, when it comes to the work of the spirit and walking in love, the Bible says, and walking in light and walking in the spirit, the Lord's not gonna force his love into me. John, open up, here it comes. I don't care, like a kid that doesn't wanna eat. Here you go, open up. He's not gonna do that. He's not gonna force feed me this thing. He wants me to cooperate with him. And the cooperation is just me saying, God, I am not naturally loving. Would you fill me with your love? But these people that I work with, I don't naturally love them. <laughs> if I'm honest and you know my heart, God, would you give me love for them? This person that I'm married to, you might say, I don't find myself loving them. Ask God to change your heart. Ask him to give you the heart of Christ. Ask him to pour out a spirit in your life in such a way that he'll change you. I'm waiting for him to change them. Let God do that. You're the one that's supposed to walk in the spirit, so walk in the spirit. Allow him to do it in you. And he will. He will. There's love. But then the next thing, a characteristic of love, some want to call it another fruit of the spirit. Call it what you will. I desire it. I need it. And that is joy. Joy is a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. The awareness of agape love produces joy in my life. Knowing that God loves me the way that He does should produce a sense of joy. The joy of my salvation, that I am saved, there should be joy. And when God's love fills your heart and flows forth from you, the consciousness of, of, of his love brings about joy. It is that happiness that is not extinguished by even difficult circumstances. Someone said that joy is godly optimism, even in trying circumstances. Joy is the deep down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows that all is well between him and the Lord. There's this, there's this joy there. I know he loves me. I know he died for me. I know that he's faithful. I read his promises. Remember Jesus said in John 15, 11, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. These things, these things, I've spoken to you so that you could be filled with joy. Sometimes Christians aren't very joyful. And sometimes those same Christians don't ever read their Bible. And it's a direct result of of never really being in the word. And so they walk around, I just need something. Hey, listen, I've written these things to you that your joy might be full. No, being joyful doesn't mean, please don't misunderstand, that you walk around with a painted grin on your face all the time, being fake. Just, you know, I'm just, (laughs) nothing ever bothers me. I'm never upset, I never have a bad day. No, I'm just joyful, always you just crashed your car? I know, it's so cool. I mean, God's so good. <laughs> you know, this is just, I mean, be real. Be real. It's not, it's not that. It's not skipping around, you know, just, it's just being odd. <laughs> but it is real. Joy. Joy is a work of the Holy Spirit. I think of Romans 14 where Paul writes and he said, the kingdom of God, it's not an eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy is in, found in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in me. And upon my life, there is joy. The Bible says, to rejoice in the Lord sometimes. And again, I say, no, it doesn't say that. (laughs) It actually says rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. And no, it doesn't say that either. Be Bereans, check the word. Doesn't say that, doesn't say that. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. It's a choice that we make, a decision that we make. Joy. It's found in the work of the Holy Spirit. Within my life. It's an interesting thing about joy that seems to be, I would say uniquely different than happiness. Happiness is so often predicated upon how I feel, what's going well in my life. um, If I'm healthy, if I feel good, I'm happy. If I paid my bills, I am happy. If I didn't, I am very sad. I'm very sad right now. But joy, it's interesting that joy can even navigate through difficult circumstances. I, I rejoice in the Lord, not necessarily for all things, but I can rejoice in all things because of the Holy Spirit in me. And I don't know how it happens, those times when God just gives you, there's no reason why you should be filled with joy at this moment. If someone was looking at your life, they'd say, oh man, so depressing, so sad. That is really tough. Wow. And yet, there's something within you And it's not something, it's someone. It's the Holy Spirit producing joy within us. Another characteristic of this agape love or a fruit of the Spirit, if you will, peace. Peace. It means to, the word actually means to join or bind together that which has been separated. It actually pictures the binding or joining together again of that which has been separated or divided, and setting, at it, setting it once again, it conveys the common expression of having it together. Having it together is the idea. Peace. It follows that peace is the opposite of division. It's the opposite of dissension. As believers, if you're a child of God, first of all, you can know that you're at peace with God because before you're saved, you're at war with God. You're at war with God. You're not at peace with God. You're actually, the Bible says, at enmity with God. However, when you surrender to him, you're at peace with God. But not only are you at peace with God, but you also now get to experience in your life the peace of God. Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you my peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives. Do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus says, this is this is what I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you peace, and it's, it's mine. It's my peace, I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna give you my peace. He is the Prince of Peace, by the way, the Bible says. And he provides peace. There are people in this world that would, pay the highest price, if they could just get peace, if I could just find it in this or that or them, I just, all I want is just peace. And that's exactly what Jesus provides through the work of the Holy Spirit. Are you anxious tonight or are you at peace? Are you yielding to the work of the Spirit in that way? Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, these things I've spoken to you. Why? That in me, you may have peace. These things I've spoken to you. That you might have peace. I just don't feel any peace. Hey man, grab hold of the word of God and read it. See see what God says. Take hold of those promises. They're for you. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, he said. I have overcome the world. The peace that the Lord provides through the means of the Holy Spirit, this fruit that is cultivated and produced. Paul, in writing to the Philippians, talks a little bit more about it. I love this passage of Scripture. I've referred to it often myself and passed it out to many people over the years. Where the exhortation is given, Philippians chapter 4 In verse five, it says this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then it says, here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. It's a powerful passage. In other words, the Lord is saying through the apostle Paul, listen, present your, your situation to the Lord. Lord, this is what's going on. This is what I need. You, you see it. I'm not informing you. You already know what's going on because you're God, but I'm just, I'm dependently coming to you and presenting this to you. This, this is what's happening. I know you know it, but Lord, I, I just, I look to you. I cast my care upon you tonight. I give this over to you tonight. And the Lord's promise is what I'm going to do is I'm going to provide you a peace, not necessarily with understanding but peace that surpasses your understanding. It goes beyond your understanding. I don't understand, but I have peace. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I have peace. What is that? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You may be in a very tumultuous situation tonight, a testing, or maybe... It's a situation you created. Oh, Lord, I did it to myself. I'm sorry, I created my own trial again. I try not to create my own trials. There's enough trials in this world and I still sometimes create my own. It just adds to it. I try not to create my own, but if you are there, Lord, you know my situation. You know I blew it. I repent. I just, I just I'm just, i sorry. Help me, forgive me, God. Provide your peace. And he promises to provide peace that surpasses understanding. It's a very interesting thing. When the spirit of God is working in your life, and, and there's, again, like joy, there's absolutely no reason you should have peace. You should, be, you should be stressed. You should be, you should, you, really? You don't look worried. I know. Well, why? I don't know. I'm just at Peace. What are you taking? I'm taking Jesus at his word. That's what I'm taking. He said, these things he's written to you that in me you may have peace. I just, I believe it. I don't know why. I'm not pretending like it's not there. It's not going away. It's right there in my face. But for some reason, there's just a peace. In Colossians 3.15, concerning this peace, Paul writes to the Colossians, and this time he says, let The peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body. And be thankful. Let it rule. I'm not going to let it rule. I'm going to rule. Stress rules. Stress rules. No, it doesn't. Anxiety. Yes, take the throne of my heart. I feel such peace. No, you don't. You have have to let, let peace. Let the peace of God rule in your life. Let it govern you. It says, let it rule your heart. Yield to it. Holy Spirit, I yield to you. So there's love, there's joy, there's peace. And next, this is the this is fruit of the Spirit right here. Some translations read patience. That's usually everybody's favorite word. The other word is long-suffering. They basically mean the same thing. Long-suffering, patience. It's the word macrothumia don't say that five times, but as the Greeks used it, it meant practice or patience with people. That's what it meant. That's that's the work of the Spirit. Patience with people. It's the ability not to lose patience when people are foolish, not to grow irritable when they seem, I don't know, unteachable. It's the ability to accept the folly, the blindness or, or the ingratitude of people and, and remain gracious and still to just keep working on without losing it. I mean, it's just that is the Holy Spirit's work. Long-suffering, long-temperedness, steadfastness of a soul under intense how about this? The steadfastness of a soul under intense provocation. How's that working for you? Intense provocation. That's another way. Let me just translate it. Pushing my buttons. How are, you going to, how are you going to withstand that? How are you going to be patient? How are you going to be long-suffering? It's got to be the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Because everything in my flesh may want to respond and react right now. But the Spirit says, be patient. Be long-suffering. Remember what you used to be like. Remember how you used to act. How patient I've been with you, John. That's right, Lord patience. Do you find that you are patient or are you exasperated? Are you flying off the handle in rage, passionately desiring vengeance? Hey, listen, that's not the spirit. Just know this. When that comes up, that's the flesh. I have every right. Do you? No. Okay, you're in the flesh. let just just face it. You're in the flesh. Repent of it, because what happens is, listen. If I go into that, into the flesh, if I, that's the thing. Here's the battle, right? The Spirit wants to produce, to cultivate the fruit in my life. I can yield to that and say cultivate it, or I could say. No, cultivation is closed. We are going to go in the flesh on this one. We are not gonna be patient and we are not going to have joy and I don't think there's any love here so I'm just gonna yield to the flesh and when you yield to the flesh, it quenches the work of the spirit but the moment that I recognize I'm quenching the work of the spirit and I'm in the flesh and I stop right there and I repent, it's amazing how the spirit can begin to work in my heart again. And usually I find in my own life, speak for myself, it's usually in the realm of just humility. Just recognize, you know what? I'm just gonna humble myself before the Lord because God works great with humility, but he he resists pride. And just in that moment of just, no, I'm not gonna be in the flesh. Lord, help me right now. I'm gonna yield to the spirit. Let the spirit, and I find that long suffering returns and peace returns. How about kindness? In other words, gentleness. Kindness and gentleness. It's a consideration of others. It's readiness to help them in any way that we can. The Bible says in Titus chapter three, verse four, but when the kindness and love of God, our savior, toward men appeared, kindness, gentleness, are those things that are seen in your life? Are you kind? When people deserve it, I'm kind. Are you gentle? Not if I don't want to be. No, that, that, that's, not, that's the flesh. Gentleness. The Bible says several places in Scripture about being gentle, being meek, being low. These are characteristics that are found in the person of Christ. When you see someone who stumbled into sin, how are you to approach them? The Bible says with a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Are you gentle? Are you harsh? Are you kind? Are you unkind? Insensitive? How about faithfulness? Another characteristic. It speaks of fidelity that is produced by a person, again, who is yielded to the Spirit. Meekness. You know what meekness is? Another fruit of the Spirit or a characteristic of love? It's strength under control. It's strength under control. It doesn't mean you're weak, but it does mean that you are under control. And the Bible says here, against these things, there is no law. Living a life after the Spirit. How does that happen? By yielding to the Spirit. I love that in this context, in the very next verse, in verse 24, He says, Those who are Christ's that belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. I find those two passages in context together for a reason. There's a death to the old life, there's a death to the flesh. The death to the flesh opens up the door for the work of the Spirit. I have been crucified with Christ. It's, a, it's something that's happened past tense. But I have to reckon that it's happened past tense when the flesh wants to rise up and rule the day. I, no, wait. That person was crucified. That insensitive, lack of gentleness, arrogant, no peace, no joy, no love, that person, that person's been dead. Crucify with Christ. And this person that's now alive is alive in the spirit and wants to walk in the spirit and see the fruits of the spirit being produced within my life. You know, maybe tonight, as we talk about fruit being produced in our lives as believers, we realize that the life of the spirit, I can't produce in and of myself, but as I yield to the spirit I see the change begin to take place. God is cultivating things in my life. And when something is being cultivated, when something is growing, first of all, remember this. It takes time. It takes time for things to grow. But as long as you're rooted and grounded in the love of God, in the word of God, abiding, the promises, you will bear much fruit. It just happens naturally, supernaturally. But maybe tonight, you look at your life and some of these things that we've talked about tonight, they're missing in the area of love or peace or gentleness or faithfulness or kindness, self-control. These things, something's missing. It's almost like you just do a fruit inspection. I'm just gonna inspect the fruit here. Mm, well, that's, needs to be, uh, something needs to happen there. I mean, there's just something that's not right. You know, when I was growing up, my parents' first home, they had so many fruit trees. And at first, it was such a wonderful thing. Oh, look, we have grapefruits. Oh, look, we have oranges and apricots and a bunch of other stuff, lemons. Think how great this is going to be. We have so many grapefruits. And these trees, man, they just did not stop producing. Like, how many grapefruits can one family eat? Seriously, I found many things to do with grapefruits over the years. Not always good things. They can go, I mean, they just fit right in your hand. I mean, you just so ah. It's one of those things. And one of my jobs, I I had many jobs, but one of them, I didn't necessarily do them all that well, but was to pick up the dead fruit. This gross, man. And I would wait, you know, just put it off until like, I don't, you know, I just didn't want to do it. So then finally, if you wanted to go somewhere, listen, John, if you want to go somewhere, my dad, you need to go out and pick up the rock. Okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll pick it up. I haven't been out there in weeks. We're talking massive trash bags of that fruit. I mean, just rotten. And they had, they had, something had eaten them. And they were, as rats, it was rats. They love grapefruit also. <laughs> Who knew? I I just, if it was up to me, I'd love to just chop that tree down. Saved me a lot of time, and I'd get a different job. But this is, what I'm telling you is, this fruit just kept on producing, and you'd inspect it, and sometimes it was so lush, and so other times it'd be rotten and disgusting on the ground, trampled and eaten by vermin. Dragged out to the trash can. Where am I going with all of this? where I'm going with it is that you might be looking at your life spiritually and you realize tonight, you know, I really haven't been planting my roots deep in the word. It's almost like a light goes on and and the spirit of God is saying, "This, this is why there's a lack of peace or joy. These things that Jesus said, I give them to you. They're mine. I give them to you. They're available. You know, I was thinking, I was thinking about Luke chapter 13. I want to conclude with this because the Lord just, man, today I was praying and how can I, end? Here's, this is what the Lord showed me today. If you're in that place where you think, man, I'm just not really cultivating anything. I don't really see anything happening in my life. Listen to what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 13 in verse six. Here's what it says. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit well, but if not, after you can cut it down. A parable, an illustration. There are several things perhaps that you could glean from this particular parable. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, maybe you feel like I'm just not producing fruit. I just don't really see what, what's happening. And I don't, you know what? I don't even know that it's really worth it. Here the man in the parable says, you know what, just cut it down. What's the point? Why are you even trying anymore? It's not gonna, it's not gonna change. Nothing's gonna change. We've been at this for three years and it's still the same. Nothing's happening. But I love the fact that the individual says, you know what? Let me dig around it. Let me dig around. And, and the digging around is exposing the root system. Digging around it is seeing what is hindering the growth. Digging around it. And as it's dug around, the roots are exposed. And now you can see, oh, I, I know why it's not bearing fruit. This is, this is obvious. Look at what's underneath the surface. Look, look what's here. Look what's entwined. Look at how lust is entwined. Look at how... This is entwined in this. Look at this addiction that's entwined. Look at this arrogance. Look at this pride. Look at this. It's just. It's all wrapped around. All I got to do is dig around this, uproot it, and then I'm going to fertilize it, and this thing's going to. It's going to bear fruit again. Maybe tonight, the Holy Spirit is digging around, exposing some things, showing you and me, some things that are hindering the growth, cutting off the supply, really. And he shows us what it is, not to cut us down, but that we might bear fruit. Listen, if you're not in the place you want to be tonight with the Lord, he's not angry at you. He's not ready to throw a lightning bolt down on you tonight as you drive home. He loves you. And what he desires is that you and me would yield to the spirit and allow the spirit of God to expose the areas that he already knows about, to cultivate that soil once again, to break up the fallow ground so that we can bear fruit. It's not trying harder. It's not the flesh trying to manufacture. It's just us yielding and saying, okay, God, I surrender. I've been trying to do this myself. I yield to the work of the Spirit. Make me what I'm not. (laughs) Cultivate in me that which brings you glory. And he will. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Will you pray with me? (sighs) Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that one of the illustrations that is used to depict you, Lord, is that you're the divine husbandman the keeper of the vineyard. Lord, you're the one that knows how to make things grow. You created everything in a physical sense, but also, Lord, you know how to help us grow in a spiritual sense. And if, Lord, there are things that have stunted, hindered our growth in you, Lord, maybe it's bitterness, God. Roots of bitterness have just sprung up and it is quenching any kind of fruit-bearing at all. Lord, I pray you'd uproot those things tonight. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's anger, resentment, greed. Whatever it is, God. We ask you to have your way in us tonight. Thank you for your love, Lord. We pray, even now, as we just conclude tonight, that, Lord, You would just pour out your love, Lord. Shed abroad, your word says, in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What a difference it makes. We Thank you for hearing us tonight. Pray that as we leave this place, Lord, you continue to work in us and through us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you stand with us? Next week, we begin by looking at the gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit not only leads and guides and directs and empowers, fills and overflows and cultivates the fruits of the Spirit, but listen, folks, the Spirit of God also imparts gifts to the people of God. So I encourage you. Come next week as we talk about the gifts of the Spirit as they are revealed in Scripture. Looking forward to it. May the Lord bless you tonight. If you need prayer, we'll be up front available to pray for you. If not, have a wonderful evening, a safe drive home, and come back tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be such an amazing time. We're going to have a blast, and uh, it's a great party, man, for the neighborhood, and we just get to talk about Jesus the whole night, and it's and see people from the neighborhood and just love them, and it's it's going to be great. So don't miss it. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Now, listen. One final thing: if you decide I'm not coming to the harvest, I just I, I just like to stay home. I don't like to go out. All right, that's fine. Stay home. But listen, what I want you to do is don't be one of those people. You shut off all the lights. You lay down on the ground. Don't answer it. No, no. Stay down. Stay down. Don't be that person. How often is someone going to come to your door and take something from you? Now, listen, get candy. Don't be like, here's a track, kid. Eat this. They're like, that's just not Jesus. That's a piece of paper. Get candy also. Maybe print out a track. Go online, Google Christian track on Halloween. Just print them, print them. Fold them up, get candy, put this in there, and just say, man, Jesus loves you. What? How many times are people gonna come to your house? You might not know who they are. That's okay. They know who they are, and you put a track in there, and who knows what could happen. Listen, my wife got saved. Somebody handed her a track. Huh? Whoever that person was, when I get to heaven, hey, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. Gave my wife a track. She got saved. Somebody handed it to her. So they work. I have a believer in my home who was saved by a track (laughs) or God using the track. Jesus saved her. Okay. It's like a theological about it. You understand what I mean, but don't be one of those people that just hides. You are the light. So turn them on And bless people that come to your house. If you're not doing that, then I expect you, no, I don't, I want you to be here. But if you're not, man, just be a light and a witness in your neighborhood. It's a great opportunity. So let's close in a chorus, shall we? God bless y'all.